Five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Diary of a Kitty Warrior. Sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. My name is Dee Moore, and I am a stage four kidney warrior. This podcast is dedicated to encourage, educate, and inspire as we explore all aspects of kidney disease, chronic illnesses, and health. If you have any questions or ideas for future topics you would like me to cover, please do get in contact with me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. In today's episode, I am bringing you a kidney warrior story. Now there's always something you can learn from someone's story, something that can bring inspiration and hope. My guest today is transplant recipient Faduma Dar. Faduma is an economic development professional who got diagnosed in 2018 with end-stage renal failure. After six months of dialysis treatments, Faduma was blessed with a second chance at life thanks to her brother's kidney donation. She is currently thriving at 18 months post-transplant and uses her online platform to advocate for kidney warriors, increase awareness on the importance of kidney health and what life post-transplant looks like. Hi and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior, the podcast. How are you doing today, Fadima? I'm doing good, Dee. How are you doing? I am good. I am good and and looking forward to chatting with you and um, getting to know more about your story. I'm going to kick off with my first question, which is... How did your kidney warrior journey begin and how were you diagnosed? Thank you, Dee. So, uh, hi everyone, my name is Faduma and I was uh, diagnosed back in 2018. I think I would say my kidney warrior journey started really a few months before I got diagnosed. I wasn't aware of my condition until it worsened to that critical point where I started um, having these physical symptoms. And so this was towards the end of 2018. I was traveling quite a lot back then. And I had just come back uh, to visit my family here in Nairobi, Kenya, when I started feeling really, really ill. Um, And it was really sort of GI symptoms, stomach-related symptoms. And so my family and I, our first conclusion or our first idea of why I was feeling so ill was just, it has to be stomach related. Maybe I ate something really bad during one of my travels or, um, you know, have a stomach bug or something. And so the first, all the doctors that I first saw were all gastrologists, um, stomach specialists. Yeah, because we were so convinced (laughs) that this must be a stomach issue. And so um, they, I was misdiagnosed for those first four or five months when I was feeling really sick. And uh, the medication that I was prescribed for was uh, for a bacteria called H. pylori, which a lot of us have in our systems, in our stomachs. Um, they can be dominant bacteria, um, but it's something that is quite common. And so I was prescribed something called the H. pylori kit, which really it was horrible, horrible medication. It just really worsened things. And um, 
the, the side effects just got worse and worse. Um, I was really nauseous a lot of the time. I just couldn't keep anything down. Um, I started like losing sleep. There was one time where I couldn't sleep for three days in a row. Oh, um, wow. So those those four months leading up to my correct diagnosis was a huge challenge for myself and my family. Um, just not knowing what was going on and uh, just hanging on to that incorrect medication, thinking, no, I just have to push through and keep taking it. Um, it did cause nausea, the medications themselves. And so every time I would go back to different doctors and just say, keep taking the medication, you'll be fine. Um, you just need to, um, you just need to power through. Um, and I just think it's that idea that, Hey, she's in her mid twenties. Like it has to be H pylori. It can't be anything else. Like she looks, I look physically fine. Yeah. Um, I didn't chronic <laughs> sick, you know, they just assumed, you know, like you just have just this tiny bug or something that's bothering you. So just, you need to just take this medication. You'll be fine. Um, I didn't really have any, physical symptoms of distress other than, you know, the nausea and the vomiting and all of that. Um, and so we made the decision, um, like towards November, uh, towards late November, early December to just stop taking that medication because it was clearly not helping me and it was making things much worse. Uh, I was dehydrated to some point And I remember going to a local like clinic just to get, um, I'd say just to get more hydration in me. So just um, getting attached to a drip and just um, just helping me get more hydrated because as I said, I wasn't keeping anything down. It was really horrible. And so uh, finally uh, went to the last doctor, the fifth doctor who got my diagnosis right, but he is a gastroenterologist as well. Um, I was a little bit ill as most kids are when they're young. Um, and so my dad keeps a meticulous medical record uh, for all of me and my siblings. And so he noticed that there was a particular gastroenterologist back in the day that I had gone to see when I was about eight years old. Um, at that time, I was facing some GI issues and he was a doctor that found out that I was actually born with one kidney. Uh -huh. And so... Yeah. And so my dad found that medical record and he's like, you know what, why don't we pay him a visit? Maybe he's still alive, alive. he's still around, you know. Um, and so on the 20th of December 2018, we went to his office. He was the first doctor that uh, checked my vitals, um, asked about my history. And when he when he noted that I was born with one kidney, and that my high, my, my blood pressure was super high at that time. I think it was roughly 180 over 120. Whoa. Um, yeah. So he was like, you know what? Uh, I'm just going to ask you to do a full blood work. Uh, come back the next day. He's like, but I suspect it's your kidney that's causing all of these issues. And so came back the next day on the 21st. I remember it was on a Friday. Um, walked into his office once again with my mom. And he like had a quick scan of my lab results and he's like, yeah, your kidney is failing. You are at end stage from, from the little he, he knew about kidney failure. He's like, you need to get admitted. You need to go to the emergency room. You need to have, first of all, have your blood pressure lowered as much as possible because it's crazy high. Um, and you need to see or you need to contact any of these nephrologists. And at that time it was around the holidays, like we are right now. Um, 
So all the nephrologists that we were initially recommended to were all away on vacation or just out of the office. And so it took it took us um, it took us a while to pin down a local nephrologist to help us out. But I think just during that diagnosis time, um, I remember when he gave that correct diagnosis, it was just, you know, thank goodness we know what is going on right now. I was relieved. I felt like I could finally relax and just let, you know, the medical world heal me and that I would be okay in like two weeks max, maybe. I just had no clue um, the extent to which, uh, to how sick or how ill I was. Um, At that time, I was actually feeling much better because as I said, the medications I was taking, I just stopped. And so the symptoms sort of wore off from that medication itself. So feeling super weak, but just back to my oldish self. But um, I remember just being in the emergency room and having all of these nurses and um, uh, the people who are administering the drip and just checking my blood pressure and all of that, just letting me know that, hey, like, you know, you need to start thinking about dialysis. You You need to have the procedure to put in, you know, a catheter and get your first treatment because you need it. Like, there's no... There's no like if, when, it's now. (laughs) And uh, I just remember my family and I were were in denial for the first like four or five days after my diagnosis because we just couldn't believe that my kidney was just at that critical stage where I needed treatment. And dialysis at that time was just such a foreign concept, sounded like a very invasive procedure. And if I accepted it, that it would be giving up and accepting that this would be my life. Um, so I, my family and I just kept, uh, trying to get second, third, fourth, fifth opinions, um, doing lab tests at different labs outside of the hospital, um, sending my lab results to like any of the family friend doctors that we knew, um, just trying to get a second opinion and the results, you know, came back pretty much the same, uh, didn't change much because I wasn't receiving any treatment. So, um, I think on a Sunday or like three, four days after that, we decided to just, you know, it's best to just get a temporary catheter, um, see see if that will help. Just get get a temporary catheter placed in um, on my chest, uh, was right here, and uh, and just have my first dialysis uh, treatment done. And I think we were, and even the medical team were just like, maybe, you know, maybe you need just a few treatments. Maybe it's an acute kidney failure. Like maybe after a few treatments, we'll get better. But um, I remember after my first dialysis treatment, everything just, I started feeling much better. It was insane. Just my appetite came back. Um, the nausea, my nausea levels were quite low. I just like my energy levels came back. I mean, even though my first few dialysis treatments were a little bit painful, um, just like my body getting used to that, it was, it it helped me, it saved me. And um, I mean, obviously my lab results kept getting better and better because the toxin, the toxin levels in my system were being reduced because of the dialysis treatments. Um, But then we decided to get, you know, another opinion outside of Kenya. And so that's when uh, my family and I decided to just head back to the U.S. and um, go to the Mayo Clinic, which is one of the most reputable um, 
transplant centers in the US and uh, ended up staying there and just um, having my dialysis treatments at DeVita uh, for those for the Americans who know of DeVita um, and then uh, and then just immediately started the transplant process so so yeah that was so my my journey really started from from that time two years ago so it's a very rapid progression I mean so much to take in um you know one day you think you know everything's normal and everything's okay and then suddenly to be told that you need to go on dialysis and and so mentally that must have been really tough and you mentioned about the denial and coming through that denial process to realize that actually this was something that you needed to do so was it hemodialysis that you started with? Yeah, I did. And I tried my level best to stick with hemo and not move to PD or a fistula. So I did hemodialysis to my chest. And like you said, uh, I feel like I, sk- I skipped from denial to acceptance. I, I feel like I didn't have that time to properly grieve because of how fast things went, like you said. Um, it was just go, go, go. Like, what do we need to do? Where do I need to go next? Um, what is the process? What do I need to learn? What, what do I need to educate myself on? Um, and what gave me, what gave me that sense of calm was taking control over my situation as much as I could. And so it was as simple as actually participating in the conversations that the doctors were having with me so when they would come to my room instead of just like listening to what they're telling me just asking questions or even as simple as just repeating what they said um you know just letting them know I am part of my medical team too like I I want to know what is going on with me and not just say yes okay fine yeah I'll take that medication I'll do this but asking what does this medication do how will it help me you know, what is my kidney function at? Um, so that helped me feel like I was getting a little bit of that control that I felt like I lost when I was diagnosed. Um, and I, I honestly feel like the grieving part didn't really kick in for me. Um, it would sort of jump out of me every once in a while when I was going through really, really low moments. Um, I personally still think that I am grieving in some ways, even after transplant, um, every time just like reflecting back on the journey that I, that, that I am on and how far I've come uh, and just how much I feel like I lost those first few months when I was diagnosed. And so the, the grieving still is, the grieving part is still a process for me. It's still part of my journey just because of how everything just excuse me, went so fast for me because I only had, um, I was only on dialysis for six months and that was hemodialysis with a catheter. Um, I was very adamant on not moving to a fistula just because again, I think moving to a fistula for me was accepting that this is going to be permanent. And I was very hopeful that the transplant process would, um, 
be quick um, and soon, but I had to change my catheter at least three times because it was giving me issues. And that's why they prefer you move to a fistula or to do peritoneal dialysis, PD, the one that you do at home. (laughs) Um, But I was just like, no, that's not me. I'm not going to do that. Um, I suffered with my catheter, honestly. You know, there were days I would be at treatments in that dialysis, at the dialysis centers and uh, my blood pressure would like skyrocket through um, in the middle of treatment or like one of the tubes would get blocked. Um, and it, it was, that caused me a lot of distress. And again, that feeling that, oh, like I can't even control like this tube that's sticking out of my neck. Like it's not working with me. Um, so I know, I know a lot of us feel that way, you know, that like you're losing that control over your life. Um the little that we, you know, we actually have even before something tragic happens to you. Um, I think when when you have something tragic happen to you, you just feel, you just, I think you realize how little control you have over your life. Um, and so I would get reminders like that, like throughout, throughout my journey, throughout dialysis and the transplant process and what helped me you know, feel that sense of calm was, yeah, getting that control back by being involved in my own medical, in my own health, but also just having a support system from my family, from close friends, um, relying on others too, and knowing that I can't really do this alone. Um, Sometimes you want to, sometimes you're like, I can do it, like, you know, I can take myself to dialysis, or I can make my own meals, but you know, especially when you're dialysis or any um, throughout the stages of kidney disease, you get fatigued. You need that support. You need someone who will help you with your cooking or someone to keep you track on your diet. Um, so that support system was everything to me um, those first six months and even after transplant um, and even up to today. Uh, and I really am so grateful that I had that support system to rely on. Um, just to help me through through it all. You you talked about a lot there when when you mentioned about loss, and I think that's something every every person with a clinic clinic every person with a chronic illness can relate to. Where, um, yeah. Because, as you said, it's it's that point when you realise that your life is not going to be the same again, and that is something out of your control. And yeah. um, I totally relate to that. And I I have a saying that you have to be your own health manager. And I really believe that, as you said, taking back that con- that element of control that you do have, as you said, asking those questions about your medication, being empowered with, with the knowledge and knowing what it's for, how it's going to help you, and also weighing up because every medication comes with side effects, as you know, weighing up whether you want to actually go through that, you know, is it worth it? Is the plus pluses more than the minuses? So I really believe Mm -hmm. it's so important, as you said, um, to ask those questions and not to be afraid to ask the questions. They are there to take care of you. So not to be afraid to ask questions and get more insight into, you know, what decisions are being made about about you and about your health and and yeah I really do I agree with you totally that it helps um you to come to terms with things and it helps you to feel that you know you haven't lost 
control over absolutely everything oh. there still is some control there um what do you think you know what was it about the the fistula that you know because you mentioned that you were deter even though you were going through like so much to have the catheter what was it about the fistula that was different to the cast I'm, I'm mixing up my words today what was it about what was the totally, difference what was different about the fistula right yeah, like versus the cath- versus the catheter yeah. well the fistula is a bit of uh it's it's more of a procedure than than having a catheter placed uh, on your chest and the thing is for a fistula it takes around if i'm not wrong three to four months to for it to properly build for it to pro- properly build up for you to before you actually can use it right. and so i think that time factor because a catheter is once it's placed you can immediately start using it but for a fistula it's it's a procedure um it takes at least three to four months for you to uh be- for it to build before you can actually use it and um just from just seeing the experiences from the other dialysis patients when I was going for my treatments, how painful a fistula can be. Um, it is less, it has less um, uh, sort of complications during the actual treatments because there's no, um, the machine would go off on you or like nothing would get blocked. Um, there's no tubes or anything. It's just really big needles like sticking to a really big artery on your arm. But I just, I think I was just frightened with the idea that once you get a fistula, it actually stays with you even after a transplant. Um, you can take it off if you'd like um, oh. after you receive a transplant, but it is another procedure on its own to have to have your fistula sort of removed or um, sort of in, disentangled. Um and there's, there's pros and cons to a catheter versus fistula. And I think I did a post about this last year on Instagram and I was myself going through that, you know, making that decision. And I think um, the pros for fistula is, yes, it is time intensive, you know, like it is going to, it is, it can, it is a permanent sort of structure, for lack of a better word, on your arm, um, visible, you know, uh, but the great thing about it is that you can have it for as long as you want, even after you receive a transplant. And, you know, in case, you know, for some reason your kidney starts failing again, um, which eventually it may, even if you receive a transplant, but if it does sooner than you, than you think it would, um, you'll have, you know, a very quick access on your arm. You can immediately go to dialysis, you know, instead of having a catheter placed again. So I was just... I was really at like my end's wit, honestly, with choosing between a catheter and fistula. I just kept um, pushing um, against like my medical team. They're like, you know, you need you need to think about a fistula. What are your thoughts? Because my third catheter was really giving me problems during my last dialysis runs. And I just kept pushing back, just saying, just two more weeks, I'll get back to you next week, I'll get back to you next month, you know, we're really close in finalizing the transplant process, Um, we're hopeful that it'll be soon, which it was, thankfully, but honestly, if my transplant um, process wasn't finalized um, in June of last year, I think by July, August, I would have needed to get a fistula, so I just personally tried my level best to prolong my uh my time with the catheter as much as possible but it was honestly a pain um 
catheters are not, um, there's just higher risk of infection because it's just right there on your chest. It's really a gaping wound. Um, obviously, it's dressed over, but you need to take good care of it. You can't take showers. You can't, like, it's just, catheter also has its cons, a lot of it, but it's something temporary that you can just, like, remove once you're done with it, you know, hopefully when you get a transplant. And so I think that was just my mindset was, like, get a fistula, I would be giving up and, I would be, you know, once again, like really setting in stone that this dialysis will be here to stay with me for a while. And I was just so against that. My family was too. I guess in essence, that denial part didn't really leave after diagnosis. It sort of stayed with me. It's like, no, 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 this cannot be my life. Like I cannot, um, I cannot like, you know, be stuck to a machine. I mean, the other option is also to do PD at home. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't need a fistula for that. Um, but as I said, I had traveled to Minnesota um, away from home, away from really where I was raised and all of that. And so uh, I just didn't have the space to do PD at home because you need that space to store supplies and to have like, you know, a clean area just to yourself um which wasn't possible for me because we were traveling quite a lot um just between the transplant center the mayo clinic from the other city that we were in um where we had close relatives and so there's a lot of moving around so pd wasn't an option for me so it was really fistula catheter (laughs) and um Thankfully, I had, uh, I I really did not have any clue what was going to happen in the next coming weeks, months, but just super grateful that my transplant process was finalized just when my catheter, my third catheter was giving me the most issues. So it just sort of all came together, thankfully, um, just at that very last minute. So you went on to have a transplant. So Tell me about that process. How did that come about? Right. So as I mentioned, uh, once we sort of had the second, third, fourth, fifth opinion of my diagnosis, (laughs) (laughs) we decided that, you know, as I started my dialysis treatments, we simultaneously started the transplant process. And, you know, starting the transplant process is as... um, as simple as just understanding what it takes to start it to begin with. So it just took a lot of conversations with other transplant patients that my family knew, that we knew. And it's crazy how when you're going through something is when you suddenly realize that you know other people within your circle that are going through it too. You're like, oh yeah, like I know this person. Like it doesn't really cross your mind until it actually happens to you or until it happens to someone close to you. And so it was just really understanding that process from them, um, from people who went through it and, um, you know, just figuring out what would be the best place to have it done. And uh, seeing as I am a dual citizen, Kenyan American, I had the option of going back to America, which I did, first of all, to get another opinion. But then once we were there, realizing that, um, you know, it's best to stay to stay here and start the transplant process while I have my dialysis treatments three, three four times a week. And uh, again, zoned in on the fact like everyone that we talked to encouraged us to go to the Mayo Clinic. Um, because as I mentioned, they are 
sort of one of the best transplant centers in the US, um, in the Americas. And so it was really just starting that process with them. So uh, it, it, was, it is a very extensive process, um, the transplant process, because it's just first of all, like applying for it. And then there is the evaluation aspect where they first evaluate you to see if you are um, you know, a potential recipient, if, you know, other than the fact that your kidneys are failing, mm-hmm. are there any other underlying conditions that can hurt your transplant kidney? Um, and so it was very time intensive. Uh, and also just um, at first, I think the idea that we had was that, you know, all, all you need to understand is, you know, who, if um, the potential donors that you have, like what blood type are they? So my mom was the same blood group as I was. So the idea was my mom would be the best candidate to get to first get tested. And then we realized just, it's just a lot, it was just a learning journey for us too. Just like learning different things, new aspects, new information. Um, and uh it is a it can be a very frustrating process um because it's you know that urgency that you want it to happen asap um but then there's just that you know communication aspect um there's that time period and uh realizing that you know you can't get you know answers within the week like you have for months even you know and it was a lot of going back and forth even just transportation wise um you know going on a three four hour journey um you know staying in another in a a smaller town uh, in another town finding another dialysis center while I was there because it is it is a one-week evaluation process at the Mayo Clinic so finding you know uh arrangements to stay there and it was just a really extensive process and um we decided that it would be best for my siblings to first get tested if they were um if they could be potential donors because we realized the younger the better um the younger and close uh, the closer in age to me as well and um my all my siblings and my dad everyone was back home in Kenya so it was just trying to coordinate with a local lab in Nairobi um, getting those initial tests done at a local lab, sending a, sending that to the Mayo Clinic. It was really like a lot of back and forth, a lot of coordination and um, lots of bumps along the way. But um, just, I think, once again, it was just owning that process as much as we could and just taking that initiative and not waiting for the team to get back to us, you know, um, so just reminding them, like, hey, we're still waiting on on you to give us some feedback on this. You know, where are we at on this? You know, just slightly pushing back um, and not waiting for them to not waiting for them to always um, make that initiative to reach out to us. And so at some point, we just made the decision. You know what? Like, um, while we wait for the team at the Mayo Clinic to let us know, out of all my siblings, who would be the most who, who was the best match? We just made a guess and decided, you know what? Let's bring my brother, um, who's the youngest out of all of us. Let's let's bring my brother in um, to come visit us, and then while he's here, why not get tested? Um, why not, you know, really continue the extensive process to evaluate him as well? And so we did that, and um, we did that between last year, like March, to around June. 
um, sorry, so April, May, June, um, only three months, but I don't know, in that moment, it felt like eternity <laughs> that it was taking so long. I know from conversations with other transplant patients, it can take, it, it takes years, months. Um, it's just really hard finding that match. And I was just blessed to have my brother be a match and he was the first one that got tested um so I was lucky on that first try and um he had his own separate team you know his donor team and I had like my recipient team and so um again there was just that there's no proper crossover communication until it was finalized so um I do remember getting that call from my recipient team. Um, one of the nurses on my team just letting me know, hey, you know, it's finalized. Your your brother is uh, a donor. He is a match. And you can now set a date um, for your transplant. And I think we were all just so excited that it was finally here. Um, I think I wanted to set it at like three, four days from, from, from the day that she called me, which um, was a bit rushed because... As I mentioned, the hospital, the Mayo Clinic was in another town about four, three, four hour drive from us. And we needed to figure out, figure out accommodations, figure out what we needed to get ready, get set up for major surgery. And also just um, having reinforcements come in like that support system, um, because at that time it was just me, my brother and my mom. And so um, just having that reinspo- reinforcements to support my mom as well, because taking care of two people who go into major surgery can be a lot. Um, uh, And so had the date set for the 25th of June, 2019. And it just, it really went so fast. Like once the date, the the date was set, um, everything was just sort of spiraled from there. Um, It just happened so fast. And we had, as much of a, um, a lot of our family from all across the states come to offer their support and visit us. And again, having that support system was just out of this world, just amazing. And it just helped, helped, um, just helped give me that sense of calm because I mean, receiving a transplant, a second chance at life is an unbelievable you know, experience and you feel so grateful and blessed, but it can be really scary as well and very overwhelming. Um, and so having having family around us um, sort of those days before surgery um, and also most importantly, having them support my mom as well because she was with me from the minute I was diagnosed up until that day. Um, and I think throughout this process, just realizing how, you know, patients go through a lot. Um, you know, we go through it, we live through it day by day, but so do our caretakers to some extent. Um, and I was just really grateful that, you know, our family could show up for me, my brother and my mom, um, because we were all going, going through it together. It was really, my mom was, it was both of her children going through a major surgery that day. Um, so very emotional day, but, um, but yeah, honestly, I keep telling people that 25th of June um, and the days leading, um, the days after that were one of the best days of my life. <laughs> I just, it, it's, um, even though you went through such a major surgery, um, you just feel like you were literally born again. Um, like everything tasted much better. 
Um, the air smelled differently. I'm not kidding. It did. <laughs> like it just, I just had this like renewed energy just coursing through my body, coursing through my veins. And even though it was an excruciating pain, I was just so happy. And my, you know, my skin color came back, like, you know, the life on my face came back. My eyes were brighter. You know what I mean? Like food tasted much better. Um, I just had this energy um, that I never felt in so long. And it just made me in that moment realize how sick I was even before those four months of, of having those physical symptoms um, that I was probably sick for years because I just couldn't remember the last time I actually felt that way, um, which was really, which was crazy. Um, but yeah, so recovery for me was an amazing experience. I really hold those first few weeks, first few months close to my heart. And um, Rochester, Minnesota was the most amazing place to recover. I just, um, I really loved the medical, the post-transplant care team that I had, um, that my brother and myself had, and just the level of care that we received during those um, during those first few delicate months. Um it was summer in the U.S. It was just an amazing time. Um, again, just feeling like renewed and just having this, I don't know, really second chance at life is really the best way um, to put it. Uh, but yeah, so I'm now one year and six months post-kidney transplant. Um, I've, as of tomorrow, so I'll, as of tomorrow, I'll be one year, six months. Um, but every every day that passes, every month, um, just gives me that time to reflect. I've realized, you know, through this journey, one of the things that I have learned is, you know, taking that time to reflect and pause on how far you've come. I don't think I ever used to do that, partly because, you know, there's that belief that you're in your 20s, it's go, 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 you know, you need to get your education, you need to like, you know, get your job, you need to get that job experience, start your career, you know, even in your 20s, that pressure of getting married and having kids, like there's just a lot going on, a lot of movements, a lot of, it's such a fast paced environment that we all live in in general. Um, but I feel like there's that pressure when you're in your 20s as well. And I don't think I ever gave myself that time to just stop, pause, reflect. And um, I had a lot of that. I had a lot of time to do that um, when I was focusing on my health last year. And now that I'm on the other side, sort of post-transplant, I I try my level best to not take what I, this gift for granted. And um, every anniversary, every 25th of every month um, is a reminder to me. Or every time I see my scars, you know, it's a reminder of what I went through, what my family and I went through to get to where I am. And it just renews that gratefulness because you know sometimes life can get to you um sometimes you can be like really in the middle of it and you don't like realize you know sort of the blessings that you have surrounding you and so the 25th of every month um just reminds me of how far i've come and you know the people that helped me to get there and um yeah just try to live my best life um and and really you know not taking this second chance of life for granted but it's hard doing that with covid <laughs> um because that fear cripples you you're like no i need to protect myself at all costs i need to protect this gift at all costs um but then there's that other side of you where 
if you know you have this second chance at life you want to use it to the maximum and like take advantage of it um this is a delicate balance at the moment but doing what i can so it sounds like you know transplant has made a humongous difference to your to your life and um yeah your brother your hero so he's <laughs> given you an amazing gift and um so you've talked about um the difference that it made um in a positive um sense of you you smell even smells smell better the food tastes better you know everything you've got more energy and and mm. all the wonderful things that um having the transplant has given you um right. has there been any challenges post transplant in terms that you've had to deal with yeah um i think first that knowing that you have this huge responsibility um and i think that's why the transplant the pre-transplant process can be so extensive because excuse me in that evaluation process um where you are evaluated to be a potential recipient of an organ uh, of a transplanted organ it's just that you're also tested mentally, psychologically, if you are capable of taking care of this organ um, going forward. And uh, after receiving that transplant, I sort of understood why, you know, that aspect is part of the pre-transplant process, because it is it is a day-to-day responsibility. There are, you know, I think I also had that misconception that, you know, once you receive a transplant, you're all set, you're good, you're healed, you know, you don't have to think about treatments anymore. You're good to go. But realizing that it is a lifestyle um, on its own. And um, those first few weeks, as I said, were just, you know, out of this world for me, an amazing experience, but um, also a little bit overwhelming because uh felt like I was in a mini crash course on, on how to maintain my life post-transplant. And so being introduced to all the medications I'll be taking lifetime, uh, how frequently I'll be taking them, the importance of taking them, you know, if you miss a dose, what will happen to you? What do you need to do if that happens? Um, and then also just generally keeping a diet and an active lifestyle, um, which, you know, the active, healthy lifestyle aspect, it's recommended to everyone, but I feel like it's more heightened when you're chronically ill or when you've had a transplant, where it's, for you, it's like, no, you really need to keep a good diet and keep active. Um, and so it was overwhelming and um, I found that a bit challenging, just, uh, you know, it brought a lot of anxiety in me, to be honest, because um, honestly, up to today, my worst nightmare is missing a dose of my medication. <laughs> Literally, I can wake up sometimes and I'm like, oh my gosh, did I take my second dose of medication today? I'm like, yes, you did. Yes, you did. So um, anxiety has been a constant in my life, um, you know, ever since diagnosis through dialysis, even up to today, post-transplant. Um, and just, I think, realizing the you know, the weight of taking your medications, you know, twice a day and not missing anything. Um, you know, I, it's just, it's a challenge because even with the medication aspect, um, 
I'm, I'm now like, you know, fairly confident that I can manage it, uh, you know, putting all the alarm systems on my phone and just having everything much easier, like just structuring my, my time, my daily schedule around it. Um, but also I think just there's also that aspect of the side effects of these medications because they are quite, um, they can be quite serious and, every single person is different and how the medication affects you can be different. Um, I know I had a difficult time um, those first few weeks, uh, the first few days actually post-transplant specifically with one medication called Celsept. It just gave me a lot of GI issues, a lot of stomach related issues. Um, but I found a workaway around that. So personally, I take my medication with food. Um, I know some are not recommended to do that, but for me, it works that way for me. And I know my team just really recommended that, you know, once you start, like the way you start taking your medication, just try as much as you can to do that forever. Okay. <laughs> and so like, if you take it with food, take it with food. Um, and for me, like I started traveling because I'm, I'm now back in Kenya and uh, I traveled back to Kenya four months post transplant. So I had to deal with that time difference aspect. Um, and so I just, I think, in a nutshell, really like post-transplant life is this really, really putting your health first before anything. And I know I did that a lot, even with dialysis, but now more so it's just really structuring my life around my health. And so um, things that I used to enjoy doing, like spontaneity is not, you know, it's not there anymore. I have to think about, you know, do I have enough supplies of my medication to go on a trip if I wanted to? Um, or, you know, like just, especially now post-COVID, just taking those extra measures. And so for me, I reached my six-month mark post-transplant right when the pandemic started. And so, um, you know, I was very aware even before COVID that I had a weakened immune system and I was taking the precautions that we now take um, before COVID struck, um, you know, wearing the face masks and um, avoiding people who are ill and all of that. And so I was sort of lessening that for myself. I was like, you know what, I've reached my six, six month mark. I don't really need to like avoid people anymore. I don't need to wear face masks as much anymore. And then COVID came and says, like, okay, taking right the way back. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to, you know, go back to this again. Um, so it does, there are sets of challenges that come with it. And uh, as with any, you know, as, as with any like change in your life, uh, sudden shift in your life, it can be, it does take some time to get used to it. Uh, personally, it's been one year and six months. And I think um, the pandemic has slowed. Um, the process of me adjusting to my new lifestyle a little bit because I've just been mostly at home and most recently I've been going out and attending social events uh, and you know aside from the fact that we're in a pandemic I still feel like I haven't properly adjusted to my new lifestyle um, and so it's just trying my level best to be patient with myself and taking it day by day um, you know just having like small attainable goals each month and hitting those as much as I can instead of overwhelming myself with the big picture or with big goals. Um, I think another big challenge that I personally like, you know, struggle with is just the medication aspects because they are quite expensive and um, having the right insurance. I mean, they are quite expensive in itself because 
just just the cost itself but knowing that it's lifetime causes me a lot of anxiety as i'm sure it does for a lot of post transplant patients and so um i think there's that pressure of just figuring everything out um or or feeling that you have the need to figure everything out for yourself post transplant um but again what i try to do is just take it day by day month by month and not overwhelm myself with with things or aspects of my post transplant life that isn't um that isn't hitting me now um so so yeah it's just um i remember those first six months as well um you know your your body is still healing from a major surgery your scar is still healing you you know your your new kidney is getting used to its new home and um i remember every ache uh or any little like pain i would feel i would just like immediately jump to the worst conclusions <laughs> yeah, i would take yeah. my i think it's with so many times um it was really great having a 24 hour um number that i could call in case of anything and i trust me i use that number <laughs> a lot. but i think it's also just um rebuilding that confidence in yourself and understanding your new body how it's functioning and so now i'm confident in just you know if i feel something like okay i'm noting that down if it you know continues for another day for a few weeks then i'll bring it up to my team but just um i think it's just learning about your new body your new lifestyle and just trying to fit into it as much as you can um and that takes time so i personally thought you know i'll be good to go in a year um after a year like i'll have everything sorted out but to be honest it's still it's it's a journey in itself um and uh i had that misconception that you know i'll be fine in like you know 4 or 5 months after surgery you know everything will go back to normal but it takes time to get back to the new normal <laughs> for yourself post transplant um and then no less in a pandemic uh crazy times that we live in but um again just trying my best and not try not to overwhelm myself with too many details um and just realizing you know um that you don't have control over everything in your life and i mean i had that lesson when i got diagnosed and through dialysis but reminding myself of that and so i said that reflection is such an important part of my life um because it just centers me grounds me and uh just helps me through figuring everything out in terms of my lifestyle habits There's so much there that um that you had to come to terms with and learn and um all those different side effects that that came from um the medication that you were taking and that kind of mental transition um from um seeing yourself as a well person to see yourself as a sick person to seeing yourself as someone coming through that as well and mm. also like you said the responsibility of having to take care of yourself in a completely new and different way things that you didn't have to even think or about or consider before mm-hmm. and then on top of that a pandemic where everything's different and everything's changed and and there's so much uncertainty that takes a, a lot of strength to to overcome that that's definitely um the warrior um showing through right there the fact that you've been able to um go through you know so much deal with so much and and yet have such strength and have a smile on your face so what advice 
would you give to somebody who has just been diagnosed with kidney disease? Yeah, um, it's definitely not easy, isn't it? Uh, Just having your whole life just shifted in a matter of minutes, hours, months. Um, Doesn't matter about the time, just it always feels so sudden, I feel like. And uh, the advice I would give is just to take that time to process it it all. Um, Because in the flurry of getting diagnosed and starting treatments and figuring out the next step, it it all can feel so overwhelming and happening so fast to you and, and your closed and your loved ones. And so just taking that time to taking that time to, um, you know, go through all the different stages of like denial and grief. Like I really believe it's so important to just take that time to grieve and just come to terms with the fact that this is where you are right now. And uh, I know what personally helped me was, like we talked about, taking that control back. Um, You know, the the little that you can, that element of control by educating yourself on, you know, why, you know, what you need to do to get better um, and, you know, what you, like the people that you'll need to help you get there. Um, And so... I know like something that I personally struggled with was also going into that, you know, whole of, you know, blaming myself for where, for where I reached because, you know, through that diagnosis process, I did not figure out what caused my kidney to fail. Yes, I was born with one, but it's absolutely normal to live your life with one abnormally large kidney. <laughs> um, and so that wasn't the true cause of my kidney failure. And the thing is, for me, I reached that critical stage where we just, from all the tests and ultrasounds and everything that we could do, there was no conclusive reason as to why my kidney failed. And um, I know not having that reason, not having that understanding of why this happened really, you know, took me to to some dark places of blaming myself, you know, did I, like, was I not taking care of myself enough? I know I should have done more yearly tests, like, going through the what if, if I could, if I did this. Um, And so my advice, another advice I would give is not to blame yourself. Um, You know, this was my destiny. This was meant to happen to me one way or another. Even if I did my yearly checkups earlier, um, maybe I would have found that I was at stage three or stage two of kidney failure. You know, I would eventually, I would have eventually got to where I am. And so not, not going through the, what if rabbit, uh, what if hole, you know, it's not like getting into that aspect because it is draining and it's not going to help you right now. Um, and so, and also just having that support system, as I said, is I feel so important, um, you know, relying on the right people to help you in those moments where you feel down, um, where you feel overwhelmed and, just hopeless um, because you are going to get those moments, especially when you just got diagnosed. It is a very vulnerable time for you and your loved ones. And so having that right support system, you know, you don't have to connect with hundreds of people, but even just having that one person can have, can make such a difference in your life, um, especially in, in such tough moments. And so highly recommend because sometimes when you're going through such a life-changing uh life-changing moments you want to do it all you don't want to let anyone in um 
not saying that you know your support system will 100% understand what you're going through but they can because they love you and they can help you get through it you know um so so yeah that would be some of the advice or tips that I would give to someone who just got diagnosed or who's starting the transplant process you know every aspect of kidney failure um is sort of kickstarts another journey you know like you get diagnosed and then there's dialysis which is like a new step to it and there's transplant um so many different um sort of junctures in the journey and so each step just you know taking your time with it like emotionally dealing dealing with how you're feeling um the best the best the best way you can right so that's that's what i would say that's good advice what are the common myths that you would like to debunk about kidney disease? Mm-hmm. I think I mentioned some of them, right? Because I talked about how transplant, how we, there's that myth of like, you know, transplant is an easy fix and that's all. <laughs> that's one myth um, around just kidney health overall. Um, I think also that myth that, you know, kidney failure happens to older people. Um, or like the older you are, the more at risk, which is true. The older you are, the more at risk you have kidney failure because it ties to hypertension and diabetes, which tends to happen um, the older you get. Um, but really is it realizing that, um, you know, like your health isn't guaranteed just because you're young. And I, I think I talked about this quite recently online, but, um, and I think that's, that's the perception I had of myself as well, um, throughout my 20s, right before I got diagnosed, is that perception that I don't need to do my yearly tests, that um, even though I was aware that I had one kidney, um, just that reassurance from my team and I was much younger that I'm completely fine with one kidney, that I don't need to be concerned about it. I think it's just, again, we talked about this, just the importance of just taking control of your health. And yes, the medical team, you know, your doctors, nurses, they're experts in their field and they studied all of that, but you need to take control of your health as well. And um, not fully relying on your medical team's words as, you know, the gospel, like this is what they said, I'm good to go. You know, just taking that control and saying, you know, just probing and asking questions. But that myth, that myth that, that, you know, kidney failure can only happen when you're older or happen to just like, you know, a select number of people, Um, I think we always think about that when it comes to any tragedy is that that's not going to happen to me or anyone that I know, you know, there's that that misconception, that myth that it's not going to touch me until it does or until it touches someone close to you is when it hits home, but not waiting for it to hit home for you to take charge of your health. Um, I know I'm a personal advocate, like with my family members, with everyone around me online, just the importance of just having that yearly checkup done and just understanding where you are at in your health journey. Um, you probably feel okay, but just it wouldn't hurt to get that validation that you are indeed okay. Um, and that's the thing with kidney failure is it's, it is an invisible illness you know, symptoms don't hit you until you reach chronic stage, until you reach stage five or stage four, right? And so, um, I mean, that's what happened to me is that my symptoms weren't visible until towards the very end. And so who knows how long I was actually sick for, you know, probably years, months, who knows? I don't have that information with me. Um, And so just realizing that 
there's some illnesses, particularly with kidney failure, where, um, you know, it's why it's so important to have yourself checked out every year, just to understand where you are at with your health. Um, and that's the, really the best way to catch anything before it gets severe, instead of waiting for it to get severe and then start having physical symptoms. Um, by that time, unfortunately, it can be late. But um, yeah, that, that would be another myth that I would want to debunk is just around, you know, or just um, shedding light on the fact that kidney failure is invisible. And that's why it's so important to just check on, on how you're doing each year at the very least. And my final question is, where can our listeners connect with you online? Right. Um, so online, I'm really mostly on Instagram. <laughs> um, so uh, I would formerly call myself Kidney Diaries, but hence switched to my name. So Faduma, uh, Faduma Dash Doll, D-H-O-O-L. Um, that's my full name. So you can find me on Instagram if you'd like to connect, ask any follow-up questions from this conversation that Dee and I had. I'm happy to, happy to connect with anyone who who would like to, um, but that's that page that I created for myself um, over a year ago was a space to connect with other warriors, other chronic illness warriors, um, because at that time, going through dialysis, going to treatments, uh, just felt a little bit, I felt out of place. Um, again, that, you know, idea of why is this happening to me? I'm so young, you know, why is this happening? Because everyone around me was quite older than I was. And so creating that page online and Instagram really helped me connect with other warriors um, around my age group and just really helped me throughout my process, throughout my journey. And so, um, you know, I'm in that space where I want to give back on in terms of sharing my experience of, of how far I've come so far and what I've learned along the way, because Everything, um, everything I learned was just new, um, sort of gathering information. So whatever I gathered, I'd love to share that and also just connect with others and learn from them as well. So please do reach out um, if you'd like to connect. Thank you very much. So yes, um, check out Viduma's page on Instagram. So thank you so much for sharing your story with me and the listeners and for sharing so much excellent advice, um, you know, that's going to help so many people. So thank you for your time and and your knowledge and your know-how and your advice. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dee. Honestly, thank you so much for creating a platform for you know kidney warriors to share the experiences and their journey with everyone for us to connect with one another um so thank you for having me today oh thank you you're welcome thank you thank you for listening to diary of a kidney warrior podcast and don't forget that you can contact me on social media using the handle diary of a kidney warrior please do subscribe to the podcast and please do tell a friend New episodes of this podcast are released every Monday. Until next time, take care and choose to live. Diary of a Kitty Warrior. Sharing faith, knowledge, hope and love.